Today's scripture reading will be from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. Though the Lord's mercy, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Those mercies are new every morning, and we're grateful that we can enjoy some of them even today. His grace, mercy, love, and his kindness is always abounding. And we, of course, never are deserving of that. Uh, nor can we ever fully appreciate that, but we try. We try. And I appreciate you, and I appreciate the fact that we can be together and we can study and grow together. We had an excellent morning thus far in our worship with good songs and good prayers and good reflections at the Lord's table. And Bible class this morning, as someone said, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. And I, I would agree with that. And uh, I enjoyed this study that we're doing right now in the auditorium from the book of 2 Corinthians. It's one of those unsung books, I believe, in the New Testament. We know about 1 Corinthians, um, but we just don't spend as much time in 2 Corinthians. But they complement one another so well, and I'm glad that we're studying through that together. This morning, I want us to think about a lesson I'm entitling The Christian Race Across the Lifespan. And if uh, you've been in school, and most everyone here either has been or is currently, then you're somewhat familiar with the, uh, the development model, that is our life across the lifespan from, from birth to death. And so I want to think about it from a standpoint of the Christian race across that lifespan. And we'll look at three primary points this morning. But before we do that, just a reminder that... Last week, we kicked off our, our theme of loving God, loving us, loving you. And if you weren't here or weren't a part of that uh, online, then as a reminder, what we're doing is this. We're thinking about the fact that everything that we say and everything that we do should fall under that umbrella, ultimately, of loving God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy might. Every, everything that we are, every ounce of our being, should be loving God. But then we add to that, under that umbrella, of course, is loving us. And when I think about this concept of loving us, I'm specifically thinking about it, those of us in this room. Specifically Christians. Loving one another. You know, the Bible teaches us very plainly in John chapter 17 that that is going to be what it takes to draw the world to God. You remember when Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, 20 uh, and 21 in particular? And he talked about the fact that neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one in us as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. Well, why, Lord? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And so we have to love one another if we have any hope of the world coming to know God. So loving God, loving us, and then loving you. I think about loving you from the standpoint of those outside of this building, those outside of Christ in particular. And it could be that there are folks out there right now that are searching, and they're looking. And I know that they are. You know them as well. They're trying to find Christ. 
they're trying to find a Christ, if you will. That is a Savior, someone that they can turn to for hope because they don't know who Christ is yet. But they know that there's someone out there, there's something out there better than what they have. And so they're searching diligently. And so we should love those folks. And then there are folks out there that, that don't know at all. They don't know that they should be searching. Well, again, that's where we come in. We love them. So loving God, loving us, and loving you. Now, what would be really great is if we could, if we could think about our theme in conjunction with every lesson that we share from the pulpit, how does it fit into it? Whether that lesson is one that's presented by me or Jerry or someone else that stands before us and shares, or even our Bible class teachers, because I promise that every one of those lessons, if those are lessons based on the Word of God, they will fall under the umbrella of these concepts. Loving God, loving us, loving you. And so without me or without the teacher saying, now this is where it fits, do some critical thinking and ask yourself, where does it fit? And then apply it in that way. Make sense? So the Christian race across the lifespan. Let's begin with a couple of verses together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now it's interesting, if you, if you look at that verse, it says, One receives the prize. Maybe you're wondering, well, who is that one? It reminds me of uh, a, a, a scene in that movie, Top Gun. I, I like Top Gun because um, I don't know that I've ever seen it all the way through. Maybe I have. But uh, I like that movie because it has planes in it. And I'm just partial to those. And so um, I remember a scene in that movie where an instructor in the program said, uh, in case you're wondering who the best is, and Tom Cruise, I forget what this character is called, but Tom Cruise playing a, uh, a pilot there, and he's in that school, that Top Gun school. He's looking around, and he is, uh, he's trying to determine who is the best pilot in that Top Gun school. Well, this verse makes me think of that because maybe we're sitting here wondering, well, who is the one that's going to receive the prize? But you have to keep reading the verse to really appreciate it. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. But that's each and every one of us. Each and every one of us can receive the prize. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we are told to, we are told to run. And we're told to extend ourselves in this Christian race in such a way that we can receive the prize there, the crown of righteousness. We can all receive that, that prize, but we have to run the race. The Hebrews writer, Paul, if he be the writer, I, I believe there's a significant evidence that would say he's probably not the writer. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
Let us run with endurance. The King James Version says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Again, we're running a race. But we have to run it patiently. I want to use that word patiently. Perhaps he uses that, that word patiently or endurance because he understands that there are things that come up in life that are hard, that are challenging. Or maybe he uses that term because he knows that this is a race that we are to run across the lifespan. From the beginning to the end, if you will. It is a race that, that is a constant and we've got to stick in there all the way to the end. Reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. And so we've got to, we've got to be patient. Let's think about that um, life across, across the lifespan, running the Christian race across the lifespan, beginning with youth, beginning with youth. You know, deciding to follow Jesus at an earlier age when we've been reared in the church is just pretty common. I mean, it really is. A lot of times if you look at a church bulletin and you see, um, you see baptisms, a lot of time those baptisms are what we might call homegrown. In other words, uh, we have raised our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and they've made a decision uh, at an early age to become a Christian, to repent of their sins and confess their faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. That's, that's fairly common. And sometimes folks obey the gospel much later in life, maybe because they did not have that same experience that, that many of us in this room have had. But God's ideal is that, is that we, begin to, we begin to serve Him, we begin to run that race with Him from a very early age. And we're capable. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I hope that you have your Bible with you. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture together today as we do each week. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now just to refresh our memory together, when David's daddy sent him to check on his brethren. David did not know what he was going to find. What was going on, of course, was you've got God's people, Israel, were in a battle with the Philistines, and there was a giant of a man that was setting this battle in array. And he was calling for people to participate in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Goliath was his name. And when David got on the scene, he says to his brothers, what, what is going on? Who is this man that, def that, that defies the armies of the living God? And you remember what his brethren said? 
His brother said, oh, David, you're, you don't really care about what's going on. You're just coming to be a busybody and stick your nose in the, in the business of men. Now, that's, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's in essence what he was saying. And then David said, and he was the only one to get this, it seems. David said, is there not a cause? Again, he seemed to be the only one to get the fact that they were in, in, a, in a battle, not just men against men, but, but they were in a battle of righteousness against unrighteousness, against, against right-doing and sin, against God and, and the devil. And he was the only one to get it. And so that's why we have verse number 32 and following where David says to Saul, maintain your heart because we're going to defeat this Philistine. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, thou art not able to stand, go and stand against the Philistine to fight with him for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. He would go on later to say that he was just a ruddy man young boy and David said to Saul thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and I went out after him and smote him and delivered out his mouth and when he arose against me I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him and thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine he'll be like one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And he did it too, didn't he? And he would say, I delivered, I delivered uh, God's people not by my own strength and power, but I delivered God's people by, by his strength and his power. Young people are capable just quickly, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown, from your youth. I, I love you folks. I, I want you to know that. You may not always like the things that I say from the pulpit and... That's okay. You know, but I love you. And I want you to follow God's will from as early of an age as you possibly can. And then I don't want you to stop. I want you to keep following God and keep loving Him and keep serving Him and making a difference because you can. And because God has great expectations for you. I want to share with you this passage, which is... Familiar, I know. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the eyes, in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. Remember, chapter 12, verse 1, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because the evil days will come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There are coming difficult days. You may say, well, the days that I'm in right now are difficult. I get it. But remember God. 
right now from your youth. Second of all, I want us to think about the lifespan from a standpoint of the, the young adult and middle age. Youth primarily, I'm thinking adolescent, like maybe preteen up to, you know, through college age or the time we go to college, 18, 19. And then young adult, I think about it early 20s into, I know this is going to sound incredibly old, into our early to mid 30s and middle age, you know, after that, <laughs> which I'm right in the middle of it. Um, don't worry, those of you that are older laughing, I'm going to get you in a second. Um, but young adult and middle age, think about it from a standpoint of one the job. You know, we, we get out of school, we, we start that job, we start that career. Every day that we go to work is a great day, a wonderful opportunity to be an example for Jesus. Open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's look at some, some passages there together, some verses there together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. Let no man despise thy youth. Now get this. When Paul said that to Timothy, Timothy was not a teenager. He used the word youth, but he wasn't talking to a teenager. He wasn't even talking to a man who was in his 20s, and probably not referring to a man in his 30s. But at this time, the Apostle Paul was referring to someone who was probably middle-aged. He was probably in his 40s. And let no man despise your young adulthood, your middle-age years. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, or conduct, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Let's unpack that a little bit together. These years are an incredible opportunity for us to be an example in word. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse number 36, and also in verse number 37, Listen to what Jesus said. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's the English Standard Version. The King James Version uses the, the, the expression, every idle word. But I like the way the ESV says it, uh, every careless word, empty, vain, might be another way of saying it. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. There is, we, we know there's great power in our words, don't we? We know that our words can help people, but our words can also hurt people. We, we, we know that. And sometimes we, we say words and we, we are a great benefit to folks and we don't even know it. And sometimes we say things and we really break hearts and we don't even know that, maybe until it's too late. Our words matter. And every day that we have is an opportunity to be an example in word. A Christian speech should be clean. A Christian speech should be pure. A Christian speech should never be made up of evil words, ever. We should never be a part 
of ugly jokes. Dad jokes are okay. Maybe not advisable. But ugly jokes. Impure jokes. Not acceptable. Gossip and backbiting. Unacceptable. Profanity. Hypocrisy. Not acceptable. A Christian should avoid using words that in their very root are blasphemous to God. Euphemisms. Our speech should always be for the building up of the body of Christ and for the sharing of the truth of God. And then he says, be an example in word and then in conversation. Conduct is another word that could be used there. Paul gave some really powerful words to his brethren. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, for instance, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving, your life, your living, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you strive for the gospel of Christ? When folks see you, do they see the gospel living within you? Do they see that the most important thing in your life is the Christ? I want you to imagine that I have a dry erase board here and I'm writing down the word joy, starting top to bottom, J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Makes sense, doesn't it? Surely it makes sense that we ought to put Jesus first in our lives, and under that we ought to put others second, and then ourselves last. Even in our theme we see loving God, loving us, loving you in that particular order. But that's not really what Paul was get, trying to get across, or what he was getting across, in places like Colossians chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ, set your affections on things above. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead. As a Christian, we're dead. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, here's Jesus, first. When Christ, who is your life, should appear. Then she also appear with him in glory. Jesus is not first in our lives. Jesus is our life. Our thoughts are about Jesus. Our words are about Jesus. Our interactions are about Jesus. Our very living is all about Jesus. Meaning the decisions that we make, the words that we say, the relationships that we choose are going to reflect Jesus in us. He uses the, the expression charity. Be thou an example of the believers in word and in, in life, in charity, or in love. Jesus taught that we are to love God with everything that we are. 
Matthew 22, 37 through 40. This means in the church house. This means at the workplace. This means at our house. It means everywhere that we are. We should be an example in love. So, on the job, at work, in word, in life, in love, with our children. So when we enter this stage of, of young adulthood and go into middle age, this is the time that not only do we begin our working career, but we start the process of, of having children and then raising children. And if you look at the, the statistics, folks are getting married a little bit later, and they start having children a little bit later, but there's still somewhat of an order here and, and a time frame, if you will, in which we engage in this process. And so it still fits, of course, within young adulthood and middle age. So you think about raising our children, running the Christian race and raising our children. The job of a parent is so incredibly challenging. But it's also very rewarding. In Ken Chambers' book, Seven Things Children Need, Chambers said they need, number one, they need a sense of significance. They need a sense of self-worth, of value, that they're important. Number two, they need security. They don't need to be afraid. Number three, they need acceptance. And four, closely tied to that, they need love. And they need to be loved. Number five, they need to be praised. Number six, they need discipline. And number seven, they need God. In Psalm 127, beginning with verse 1, the psalmist said, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of the anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, full of joy is the man, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The psalmist is saying that it's a blessing to have children. It brings genuine joy despite the fact that it's challenging at times. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently. That means it takes effort. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses, what am I supposed to write on the doorpost and on the wall and put in the frontlets of their eyes? Well, he says in verse 4, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. I want to transition finally to old age. I told you I wouldn't leave you out. In his book, Flowers for You, Leroy Brownlow, the author of that book, he writes about the fountain of youth. Now, how many among us are familiar with, or maybe would even like to drink from, the fountain of youth? How many folks of older age, we might say, and I did really struggle with how to say that without seeming to have issues with ageism, uh, meaning that I don't like old people. I just wanted to make sure that I, I said whatever I say in a way that nobody thinks I dislike those that are older than me. How is that? I say you're older than me. I'll just say it that way. Well, when I was doing some, some work on this, I found Brownlow's thoughts to be interesting, and he said this. There are six, six things that can help us as we age. Number one. Focus on the heart and not the years. Focus on the heart and not the years. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 16, Paul said this, Though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Young people know pain. Young people know disappointment. Young people know misplaced confidence. Young people know sadness. Young people know bereavement. They know loss. Yet life seems to continue to be pleasant and meaningful. Young people that experience a lot of the issues of life, many of them are, are still full of, of confidence and hope because their whole life is ahead of them. And surely it's going to be better than this. And so what Brownlow was suggesting, I, I believe, I understood his, his thoughts, and that in connection with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, have the heart of a young person. Focus on that more than the years. In Joshua 22 and verse 5, But take diligent heed to do the commandment of the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his, his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. You see how that we start following God early in the lifespan? and we keep following him through young adulthood and middle age, well, it doesn't stop when we get older. We, we don't stop loving God. We don't stop honoring God. We don't stop serving God when we get, get old. So, so how, can I have that, how can I have that mindset, if you will? You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 talks about our mindset. How can I have, how can I have a mindset that says, I'm going to keep on following him even when I get older? Well, I think it starts with the heart. Focus on your heart. Don't focus on the years. Focus on who you are on the inside. We had an, an excellent discussion toward the end of class about, um, about reputation and 
character. And I found it interesting as, as we were talking there and, and, and 1 Timothy 3 was referenced that it says in verse 2 that a bishop then must be blameless. Blame, what does it mean to be blameless? And then it says, as you continue to read in verse number 7, moreover he must have a good report of them which are without. Be blameless, have a good report. It seems to me, if I understand my Bible, that blameless is a reference to our character, where good report is a reference to our reputation. It's possible for a person's reputation to be sullied through no fault of their own. Isn't that right, Tom? Do you agree with that? I'm kind of putting him on the spot because he was teaching the class. But it's possible. Maybe somebody says, like Daniel, I, I just don't like him. I, 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 don't, I don't like Daniel. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to... We're going to throw Daniel under the bus and we're going to get him in trouble with the king. And they did, by the way. It's possible for reputation to be sullied through no fault of your own. But blameless, that's your character. What is character? Character is, is a word that, that, if we were to illustrate it, it means to be to etch a piece of stone, to carve out something in a piece of stone, and it's, it's in there. I mean, it is there. And people will see that, and, and that, of course, can become your reputation, obviously. But your character. Focus on your heart as you get into your golden years. Focus on your heart. Focus on, on your character, that which you have etched out for yourself your whole life. Focus on that, not your years. Focus on your thinking. Think like a young person, Brownlow said. In Proverbs 23 and verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Here's a really good passage that talks about thinking and living like a young person. Verily I say unto you, Matthew 18, 3, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 19, 13, and 14, then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked him, but Jesus said, suffer the children and forbid them not to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. What do you do in the older years? Focus on your heart, your character. Focus on your thinking and think more like a young person. Number three, just take time to live. Take time to live. From a physical viewpoint, we're dying a little bit every day. Here's what Brownlow said. Each day we pass the brink of the grave and some of its dust is sprinkled upon us, but we can shake off some dust for a while by taking time to enjoy the deeper and more meaningful things of life. And it's interesting that as you get older, and I, and I start to see this now, 
there are certain things that mean more to me than they did before. And I can only imagine what that will be like if the Lord grants me more years. Take time to live. See the unseen. Life becomes stale and boresome to those who cannot see beyond their own self-interest. I've got to look beyond the here and now and see the there and then. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Here's another one. Minister to other people. Minister, you've heard it said before that sometimes our, our pains and our, the things that we're enduring, they begin to vanish away. Not completely, but they start to dissipate to some degree when we start to engage in helping others with their needs. In Matthew 20, 26, and 27, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief, let him be your servant. And then finally, become involved in the lives of those younger than you. There is great wisdom in what Titus chapter 2 has to say, or Titus chapter 1, rather, has to say, about the responsibility of the older to the younger. You know, when I think about, or ch chapter 2 rather, it says in verse number 4, that they may teach the young women, the older women, verse 3, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed or spoken against. I, I think there's great wisdom in this idea of the older engaging in the lives of the younger. When I was a student at the East Tennessee School of Preaching, there was a... Um, uh, 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 a program of work, I guess you could call it, at the Carnes Church, where families would adopt uh, preaching school students and their families. And on occasion, those families would uh, take those preacher school students to, to, to lunch or to dinner or have them over to their home or go engage in an activity with them and I've also seen similar situations where older uh, members of the congregation would become grandparents to younger members of the congregation, though they weren't their blood, they were only blood-related in Christ. But they would become grandparents, and they would engage in one another's lives. And I think that that is a great way to continue to serve as we get older in Christ and in life. Hmm. The Christian race. 
the Christian race is a race that is to be won. And it's a race that's to be won by all. Every Christian. Whether, like some, that race is over at an early age in death. Or, when we seem to be in in that point in our life where things start to click and we're, we're in a career and we're having, having a family and we're just really starting to enjoy things, if you will. And the race is over because of death. It's expected that we win. Or we get into those older years and we've run the race and it's over. It's expected that we win. And we can. Each and every one of us, no matter where we're at in that, that lifespan, if we're faithful to the Lord and the Lord calls us home in death or at His final coming, we can win the race. And so run with patience the race that is set before you. And if you need to, start today as we stand and as we sing.